Welcome once again into the Radiopedia Reading Room, a podcast unconcerned with books or poetry, tea leaves or palmistry. It is but a humble radiology podcast. My name is Andrew Dixon and joining me, he's not burnt out, he's just a very <laughs> naughty boy, it's my co-host Frank Gaylard. It's past Frank that's a naughty boy because it's past <laughs> Frank that says yes to things like this podcast or giving talks, <laughs> etc. Present Frank is powerless and just has to do whatever past Frank said. Well, we'll come back to that in the uh, in the outro of this episode because today's episode we have a short audio lecture from radiologist Naveen Sharma about how to avoid distractions and burnout. Naveen is the radiologist page on social media and so he knows all about the distractions of the modern world. Um, but before we get to that, Frank, I want to take a leaf out of Naveen's book and quickly tick something off the list of things I've been meaning to do and uh, it'll reduce my cognitive stress in the process. Uh, so a few episodes ago, you had the idea of having a cocktail of the day for ah, each yes. day of Radiopedia 2023 coming up in this July. And uh, you had three cocktails, I think you suggested. We still have two more days mm-hmm. to fill. Uh, so you had a Montenegroni, you had a Martini, and a smoky old-fashioned with your yes. butane torch. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Any ideas for the final two? I've been thinking about this, and as much as I don't like it as a drink myself, I think we have to include a pina colada because of oh, your uh, pineapples, pineapples. habit of mentioning pineapples. <laughs> but then um, all, all the other ones are quite sort of standard, so I think we need to keep going with classic cocktails. I'm not sure if it counts as a classic cocktail, but a mojito is delicious. Oh, yeah. It's also a great mocktail because you can just get rid of the rum. In fact, this is one of the drinks that my uh, kids make for me. So (laughs) they go out into the garden and rip up some mint and then come home and they make three mojitos and, as far as I can tell, only put rum into one of them, Uh, hopefully mine. (laughs) Uh, And this is ethical, you reckon, teaching your children to make you cocktails? I actually believe quite strongly that you want to normalise behaviours. Yeah. You know, I'm half Italian, so I grew up tasting a little bit of red wine with dinner, so they have a little (laughs) splash of of wine with dinner. Ben used to mix me quite a good margarita when he was like five or six. Yeah. He wouldn't have any himself, obviously, because margaritas are not for children. <laughs> but um, he used to put too much salt on the rim, so we had to stop that. But the the mojito is easier cocktail. The ratios are not quite as important to get right. So uh, Yeah, nice refreshing cocktail to include. And, yeah, we probably do need to have an accompanying mocktail for each day of the conference as well. Yeah, a lot of those are easier now because there's some reasonable zero alcohol distilled gins, maybe whiskeys, I don't know. But there's there's a few companies making, basically they distill gin and then they re-distill it to boil off the alcohol and just keep the flavours so that you end up with, I guess, flavoured water, but it doesn't have alcohol, but it tastes quite similar. It probably doesn't have the same mouthfeel. Anyway, that makes mocktails much easier for something like a martini, which would be otherwise impossible to do as a mocktail. Well, that sounds good. I won't be trying it, but it sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, so we've got our five. So that's ticked off my list. Uh, My load has been lightened. There you go. Uh, Perhaps we should actually record like a mixology episode of the podcast for each day of the conference, covering not just the cocktail and how to make it, but also giving out our lecture and workshop recommendations for each day. That sounds like a great thing for future Frank to do. And uh, 
So you're, you're saying maybe. I'm saying a very firm maybe, but we should think okay. about this. All right, we'll come back to that. I think it could be a nice little Easter egg part of the conference if we hide a little, a little podcast episode. Mm. Maybe if we did it instead of the video one, that would be better because the video one takes much more work than a podcast. We'll think about that. Future Frank, I'll have a chat with Future Frank and I'll get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's listen in to Naveen Sharma, thoracic radiologist in the UK, talking about how to avoid distractions and burnout. And then we'll be back for another chat. Great. Welcome to what was a normal morning in my life. I wake up to the sound of my iPhone alarm after getting nowhere near enough sleep as I was scrolling through my phone till one in the morning. Which reminds me, I better check Twitter just to make sure nothing has happened whilst I've been asleep. Mm, Badness abroad, more stuff about Brexit, that's not good. More publications from this doctor, how on earth do they get the time to do all of this? Have a shower, think about how I should be doing more research whilst I do so. Have another look at Twitter just to make sure nothing's happened in the last five minutes whilst I've been in the shower. Funny meme, that's a good one, that's getting a like. Quick look at work emails whilst I change my clothes. Okay, passive-aggressive email from the clinician sent at midnight. Why are you sending emails at that time? Asking why this scan hasn't been reported and the patient is unhappy. Okay, cool, can't do anything about that now. Get my daughter ready for school. Toddlers can't really control their emotions, so she's screaming about wanting a different toothbrush. I'm still thinking about that email. Quickly have breakfast. Check the email again, see if anything's changed. No, that email's still there and I can't do anything now. Shall I reply? I probably will do it later. Drive to work, think about all the stuff I need to do. Drive slightly faster, get into a road rage incident. That's okay, cars don't have feelings. Rush into the reporting room, turn on my workstation, realise I've forgotten my coffee cup, which is great news as my day's now ruined. Now to make the best out of a bad situation. Okay, let's check the email again. Ah yes, the scan I need to do. Now let me get that hospital number. Phone goes off, I need to review an MRI to see if they need to give contrast. Wow, they're scanning very early today. Let's have a look at this scan. Okay, I've got no idea what I'm looking at. Good old radiopedia to the rescue. Could be this, let's have a look at this case. Okay, probably is that. Let's give them a call back. Let's give the contrast. Back to this scan. Now I don't have the hospital number, so I need to go back, open my email to get the details. There's been five new emails in the last two minutes, that's great. Cardiologist wants to know if there's a liver lesion on a cardiac MRI and if it means anything. Okay, let's get this one out of the way. Open up the scan. So many images, it crashes the computer. Brilliant. So now I need to restart it. As I do so, radiographer comes in, wants me to check another CT protocol, but I can't check the images now as my computer has crashed. So um, can I just call you back in a little bit? Okay, back into the network. Let's go back to my email, check the details of those scans I need to report. Phone goes off. It's the secretary's about that same scan that I haven't reported. And about this time, my brain's just scrambled and I've achieved the grand total of nothing. Radiology and in medicine in general, there's a constant feeling of pressure and a big drive for efficiency of time. Get the patients in, Get them sorted and get them out as quick as you can because there's a load more waiting where that came from, which if you don't get on top of on a personal level can leave you drowning pretty quickly. All of this can really contribute to burnout. Now, this is a relatively new term, first coined in 1974, but it's something that's been increasingly talked about, increasingly being recognised as a real thing. 
it's now even made it into the WHO International Classification of Diseases as an occupational phenomenon, although technically it's not a medical condition. It's defined as something resulting from chronic workplace stress with three main dimensions. Number one, energy depletion or exhaustion. Number two, feeling mental distance from the job or feelings of negativism or cynicism. And number three, reduced efficacy. I'm sure the beginning of this presentation was probably quite familiar to a lot of you out there when you're running around both physically and mentally, but with not a lot to show for it at the end of it. Some of this has to do with the systems that are in place in your workplace, but it's also really important to take some time to really just establish what it is you're actually trying to achieve when you go about your day, because otherwise it is very easy to just get caught in the thick of thin things. Personally, I believe it has never been more difficult to be focused on a task, as well as physical distractions in our workplace with the rise of technology, which overall I'm a massive fan of. We also have to appreciate there is a significant negative side as well. Having state-of-the-art technology literally in your pocket can end up meaning productivity is put to one side. This is where I'm going to bring up the concept of deep work. This is a term coined in a book written by computer science professor Cal Newport, which I found to be really helpful in structuring how I work. By the term deep work, we're talking about performing a professional activity in a state of distraction-free concentration that pushes your cognitive capability to the limit. This activity is one that creates new value or improves new skills and is hard to replicate. Because we're in the age of distraction, the ability to do this is becoming increasingly rare and those who cultivate the skill will thrive, which is why it's described as a superpower in the 21st century. The book also brings up the concept of something I could really relate to called attention residue. This is a term coined by Sophie Leroy, Associate Professor of Management at the University of Washington. This talks about the issue of having multiple tasks and obligation on our mind going on to reduce our performance. She conducted experiments where she showed people need to stop thinking about one task in order to fully change their attention and fully perform well in the next. Having an unfinished task means your performance in the next task suffers and having a time pressure in finishing the prior task helps to move to the next and contributes to the higher performance on the next task which means constantly checking that ongoing barrage of email interruptions is going to substantially harm our chances of producing high-quality, cognitively challenging work. You may think that quickly checking your email is a harmless task, but we probably don't really appreciate the lingering effects it has on our subconscious and its ability to interfere with our focus and our concentration. The issue with email is that although it's the big offender on the distraction scale, it's usually completely necessary and probably the main form of communication amongst radiology departments and hospitals all across the world. However, being able to use email productively without unleashing its destructive power on your focus is a real skill and something that takes time and effort to perfect. It's well accepted that having your email open continuously is not going to go well for your productivity. The same goes for quickly checking your emails. Your brain gets a little bit bored with the task because it's just so easy to then get lost in a vortex of emails. A well-used strategy to try and only check two, maybe three times a day, usually not first thing in the morning, as that can just help set an unhelpful tone for the rest of the morning. The plan during these email check sessions is to go through each email and actually do something about them, either actioning them there and then or making a firm plan for when you're going to do something about it. Also, organising your email into folders, deleting all unnecessary emails could just make your email inbox feel a bit lighter and less of a burden on you. 
There are times that you just need to go into your email in order to retrieve some information to help you progress in the task. There's a real danger as opening your email will usually leave you checking fresh messages and I can't count the number of times I've gone in to get something then 15 minutes later I'm still trying to sort out little things and can't actually remember why I went into my email in the first place. So when I try and do this I try and be an email ninja. I have my email set to show the oldest messages on top. I just dive in and search for what I need, get out of there, close the window before the carnage on my subconscious is released. As much as email can be a distraction, another massive drain on productivity is the supercomputer currently sitting in your pocket. A massive proportion of phone use across the world is dedicated to social media. I've heard Twitter in particular described as crack cocaine for media addicts, which I think is just so true. As well as medicine, you have news, sport, entertainment plugged right into your screen with any breaking news across the world fed into your phone within seconds. And I have been addicted. These social media giants are pulling out all the stops into trying to keep you on your phone for just another few seconds. And this could be a massive drain on your attention and your productivity in terms of the things you're actually trying to achieve. It can also lead to feelings of inadequacy as people tend to project their good side on social media. You're much more likely to hear about someone talk about their grand achievements rather than the big mistake they've made, which can sometimes lead you to feel like, well, I haven't done these things. And over time, that can just have a negative effect on your mental health. So what can we do to harness the good side of social media without letting its destructive capabilities on our productivity and mindset take hold? I find when I know I'm going to be in a deep work mode, I just take the phone away from my person and have it on the other side of the room. If you know you're addicted, willpower will only take you so far. So adding another barrier can just really help. And the habit of not having your phone on you, telling your brain this is now focus time can just get you in the mood. There are times I've had to delete the Twitter app completely off my phone. Again, willpower can only take you so far. And I tell myself I'm allowed to look at Twitter once a day at the end of the day to catch up on any research or entertainment. And I do this maybe on the PC rather than the phone. A lot of this comes down to the concept of habits, which is talked about in a book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. When trying to lose my social media and email addiction, a lot of it had to do with changing my habits. Environment is a big factor for me. So having a clear workspace with my phone, not on my person, makes it easier to focus and not check my phone because my brain will always try and convince me there's a good reason to get my phone out, even though most of the time that thing can wait. Coming back to the concept of deep work, you may be thinking, how on earth can I work without any distraction in medicine and radiology? Well, to do so all the time, I think is impossible. However, what's described in the book is the rhythmic or the journalistic philosophy is possible where you schedule in times of your week where you know you're going to be distraction free and you can work deep and get a lot of the cognitively challenging work done, leaving the other time for more shallow work where you know you're going to be distracted. Acute reporting sessions in radiology can be very difficult as you're reporting the most complex scans with time pressure whilst being distracted. A really positive move a trust I was working at made was to separate the acute vetting process from the reporting, meaning the radiologists who were reporting could just focus on reporting the scans in a relatively distraction-free way, which I feel is not only more safe for the patients, but more rewarding for the radiologists, giving a scan the attention it deserves. The move to more flexible reporting and home reporting during COVID has really helped with the possibility of going deep without distractions. However, I would say it's more important to give yourself a time 
cutoff where you can say, after this time, I'm done and I'm switching off. When knowing how to be productive, it's important to have an overview of what it is you're actually trying to achieve. I feel the best time block for doing that is a week by week basis where you can try and schedule in your tasks amongst the shifts that you're working in that week. During that week, you can then pencil in times where you're planning to go deep without distraction. Start of each day, I personally like to physically write down on a piece of paper the three most important things I've just got to get done that day. And ticking off those things can give you a lot of satisfaction. The Zaganik effect describes a phenomenon where people remember unfinished tasks better than completed tasks. This is why having time where your mind is completely switched off from work is important to give your subconscious the time it needs to restore itself so you can go again refresh the next working day. So how can you help your mind shut down from work? One way is to have a shutdown ritual, whereby the last 10 to 15 minutes of your working day is just spent assessing your email and all the tasks you've not finished for that day. If it's quick, you can finish them there and then, otherwise you make a firm plan for when you're going to do so. This helps your mind realise the day in terms of work is finished, there's no more checking emails or thinking about work till I'm on again. A quick word on saying no. As a new consultant, it was so easy to just say yes to every project I was offered, but more and more, I see the strength in saying no. This is where having a clear schedule comes into play, as if you physically know how flexible you can be, you're in a much better position to be able to assess whether or not you can take on more. As I say, we all feel terrible saying no. We feel like we're being seen as weak by doing this, but as long as it's reasonable, there is a real strength in not taking on everything and just saying no. But I'll leave you with this. Working in medicine is a real privilege, which so many of us would give so much to do. We spend all of our time trying to help other people that we often forget to look after ourselves and that can lead to big problems. We have to make time to do the things that make the job more enjoyable. For me, as someone who really enjoys teaching, I've realised that I have to make time to teach registrars and students and shouldn't let the other stuff stop me from doing that. It's unrealistic to think that we're going to enjoy every minute of our job. So the bigger proportion of the week that you're enjoying, the more that you can protect yourself from the negative and cynical feelings and the burnout phenomenon. My name's Naveen Sharma. Thanks again to Radiopedia for inviting me to talk today. And please do all take care of yourselves. I'm glad Naveen didn't say no to recording that lecture because um, that was full of a lot of lot of gems in there. Oh, there's so much to talk about in this area, and I think it's a, a thing that we will be coming back to repeatedly because all of us, not just you and me, but all of us are suffering from this distraction at work. And I think we're radiologists are at a particularly vulnerable situation compared to many other specialties in medicine because we're sitting at a computer all day and so mm-hmm. the temptation to do your email and check a web page is is there and you also don't have a patient in front of you so yeah. it's not as if the chest x-ray looks back at you and go hey what are you doing mate what are you looking at there <laughs> but if you're in a clinic you're you're a doctor who runs a clinic or something you're absolutely not going to be distracted yeah. as much as as we could possibly be um i know you've switched off quite a bit from social media a lot I think that's, I mean, part of that is for distraction. Most Mm -hmm. of it is for happiness. I really found that um, scrolling through particularly Twitter or Reddit that, and I haven't been watching the news for years now, but 
none of these organizations or none of the stories that float to the top are there to make you feel good. The ones that seem to get your attention are those that are deliberately inflammatory or negative. And for me, it was really during the the Trump campaign, I think, that I found that I was just following these Twitter threads ad nauseum and getting angrier and angrier. And so mm. I switched it all off and I haven't regretted that at all. And I rely on you know, my friends and family to tell me when important things occur. Uh, and most yeah. of the rest is noise. I don't need to know about it. Yeah. I think this is why I enjoy podcasts actually, because it's kind of like a filter that, you know, yeah. you, you'll pick up a lot of things that are that are happening, but in a, in a way that's a lot less threatening. Because the, the idea of a podcast is that you actively choose to listen to it and you can stop whenever you want. And it's not you know, it's not like a feed in social media. You know, they're just trying to keep your eyeballs on there. Yeah. And particularly, I hate these short videos. Everything's trending towards these short little videos like TikTok and, and Reels on, on Instagram. And, you know, that is you know, a massive waste of time. So trying to avoid that kind of thing. So I basically disconnected from all of them except Twitter because I use that, um, you know, obviously to promote the podcast and engage with yeah. radiologists around the world. Um, but other than that, I really steer clear of all of it just because mainly from efficiency of time i just don't have the time to be doing it and i can concentrate on other tasks if i'm less distracted by those things yeah and it's not that there's anything intrinsically wrong with any of these things it's just that feeling of noticing that you have spent the last hour doing something and retrospectively thinking this is not how i wish i had spent this time Mm -hmm. i don't think there's anything wrong with deciding to watch youtube for an hour in the way that you go see a movie or something, but it's that mindless, automatic yeah. uh, habit of doing it that I'm trying to to fight against, and it's hard. And I'm seeing it in my kids as well that it's uh, something you need to be really wary of, where the phone comes out all the time or the headphones go in all the time. But one thing that I wanted to to bring up, and I think it's relevant, particularly to the two of us, with our mixed roles of doing the Radiopedia things as well as doing our work and having an academic sort of uh, presence at our workplace is when do you say no and when do you say yes to Mm -hmm. uh, projects or invitations to talk, et cetera? Uh, What's your approach to that and has it changed as you've become older? It's changed changed a lot. Um, I used to say yes to the vast majority of things and now my default is largely no to most things and it's and it's a a quick and respectful no to the to the offer that's been given to me and and usually I'll say I just haven't got the time I've got all these other things that I'm working on and, and people understand that what about you yeah I think saying yes when you're early on like when you're finishing your training and a junior consultant you probably should say yes to everything mm-hmm. um, because some of those are where unexpected opportunities arise and you end yeah. up with collaborations or meeting people that have a really profound effect on the rest of your career. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't say yes and you don't put yourself out there and and it's stressful and you feel like you're an imposter and you feel like you shouldn't be giving that talk, etc. but doing that is the best way to get over that feeling and you do meet and get involved in projects that uh, do shape the rest of your career but i think your ability to say yes erodes faster than your habit of saying yes and so you do get in your mid-career 
to a point where suddenly you look around you and you're surrounded by commitments that you've made that you really can't fulfill properly and are making you miserable. And Mm -hmm. um, you, you need to switch, not only switch to saying no as the default setting, but also take stock of all the projects and all the committees that you're on and all the things that you've committed to and do a cull. And I've done that relatively recently and it was really important. And just that process of looking at your diary and seeing what's in there over the next six months or 12 months and thinking back, you know, which of these do I wish I had said no to and then crossing them off for next year is is good. And that's why, you know, I joked about future, past and present, Frank, and thinking of yourself in, in those three ways is is in some ways helpful because current you who's saying yes or no doesn't have to bear the burden of that. Mm-hmm. You're kind of saying yes because, hey, I don't care. I'm not going to be doing it. It'll be this doofus in three months that has to record that lecture. Um, but having a, a more respectful relationship with future you I think is really important. It's not just will I have the time to do this thing in the future, but I more and more these days, it's thinking about, will this thing actually lead me to my ultimate aim in the future? Because it may be that, yeah, I probably can maybe fiddle things around and do this one lecture. But, you know, if it's a really small group of people, the process of creating it will be very unique to them. I won't be able to use it in other contexts. It's not going to feed through into other things I'm doing. Then I'll tend to say no. Whereas if something is very much leading in the same direction that I'm going with with other projects, then I'll be more inclined to say yes to those. So thinking about how it fits into the overall context of where you're heading is probably you know my, the main thing that factors into my decision making. Yeah, I think that's a really important point to, and that implies that you have stopped and thought about where you want to go. Um, yeah, of course you should also say yes to things that you want to do because they're fun or. Mm. You want to say yes because you want to hang out with these people, even if they're not on the way. Those are important steps as well. But but for me, I've very much moved to a default of no and where I don't need to come up with a good reason to say no. I need to come up with a good reason to say yes. But I don't think that's the attitude that you should have when you're young and junior. And a lot of the little things you do when you're early in your career, you're building up skills that come back in handy when you get get further along. And so a lot of the skills that I have now uh, developed because I said yes to doing things back in the day. And maybe at the time you thought, oh, I've spent a lot of time doing this one thing. I'm never going to need this again. But it's surprising how often those skills come back and back and then you know, eventually you've got yourself a virtual conference with 10,000 people That's coming right. along and a, and, a, and a podcast with three listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and, and speaking and teaching and presenting slides, that is not something that is as easy as people think it is. And when you look at lecturers who are just amazing on stage and they're charismatic and they're able to explain things well and it's effortless to pay attention to them, and they make it look easy, that person has done it thousands and thousands of mm. times. And so yeah. the more you get to practice where the the cost of failure is low, so saying yes to those early gigs where it's only a room full of medical students, yeah. uh, that's really low-stress practice. So, I actually 
gave one of my lectures for Radiopedia 2023 to a an up and coming trainee uh, in the US. You know, I'd seen his, his tweets on Twitter, his educational mm-hmm. tweets. He submitted some cases to Radiopedia, which are, are really, really good. And I thought, look, I'll, I could do this lecture, but um, if you want to do it, if you want to take over this one and deliver this lecture, then you're more than welcome. And he's he's taken up the opportunity. So they're the kind That's of great. things that I enjoy doing these days, getting more people involved. Um, I've written down email inbox here. You've probably got some strategies for dealing with emails, Gayla. Oh, emails are awful, right? The description of uh, email that I think best summarizes what it is, it's like your to-do list that's open to the entire world to add tasks for you. <laughs> and, and that's what it feels like. So trying to keep a lid on it is is important, if not impossible. Have you um, read about or know about getting things done, GTD? Uh, I haven't read it, but I've heard about it. Yeah. yeah. So getting things done is, is for our listeners that aren't familiar with it, is, is old school. It goes back to before electronic communications really guy's name is david allen i think Mm -hmm. and he dates back to being sort of a uh, a coach for executives in the 80s a lot of the things he talks about are paper-based but they very much translate to electronic media and it's probably the closest thing i've had to a sort of mystical religious experience was listening to a (laughs) seminar of his because um, a lot of the strategies that naveen has also spoken about is that sort of action things immediately reduce the number of emails you have in your inbox, et cetera. Uh, they will come from him. I'm not sure if he lifted them from somewhere before then, but the, mm-hmm. the GTD workspace is important. And particularly the empty inbox, I find when my inbox gets over six or seven emails, yeah. I start getting really anxious because each of them, every time I open my inbox, each one of them is like this little voice that's nagging you with a, you should be doing this thing. Uh, so I usually try and operate at, at zero. At the moment, I'm into double figures and I'm a, a complete mess <laughs> as a result. But when when I see people open their inbox and there's 400 unread emails. It's like, ah, this is awful. <laughs> Do you have set times where you look at your emails? Uh, aspirationally, yes, but in, in practice, no. I, I do try and not look at it first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, so this is for days where I'm not at the hospital but I'm working on Radiopedia. The, yep. the mornings are when, when the kids are off to school the first three hours of the morning are really highly productive, clear headspace time. And if I look at my inbox before I know it, I've wasted most of that time putting out little fires that really can wait Mm -hmm. um, till later. When I'm at work, um, I don't keep my email open while I work and I have all notifications off. So I don't get pinged when an email arrives or anything like that. And I do my best to not check it while I'm reporting. I'll do it before lunch or something. But, you know, you write an email to one of your trainees to give them feedback and it's hard to get to writing an email without going through your inbox. And then in that second, you see the email and you think, oh, I'll just reply that, as Naveen says, and then you're off. And that cost of switching between tasks is grossly underestimated trying to avoid it during the actual reporting session is the main thing I'll do. So I'll, I'll do it, you know, have a look before work, have a look 
at lunchtime, have a look after work, but trying to avoid the temptation of, of checking things between cases so that you maintain your concentration for the task at hand. How do you, how do you find that kind of clear space in order to, to deliver on a, a specific task and avoid distractions? At work, it's really hard because mm-hmm. I think one of our roles is to teach. I try and have readout sessions where, so in the morning, I will say at, at 11, we'll read out with the registrars and then we'll sit around and go through the cases that they've sent me rather than do them one at a time. But invariably, there are interruptions. Um, when I'm trying to do a, a chunk of work, whether it's just reporting at work on my own or doing work for Adipedia or something, I do just try and set aside sort of a target and I, I turn off notifications and have some music that I know helps me focus in that. Uh, what music is it? This goes in our Spotify playlist, Galen. I, I don't particularly listen to this It's uh, Jimmy Sachs, isn't it? It's not Jimmy Sachs. It's actually <laughs> Little Wing by Jimi Hendrix, but it's not oh, the Jimi yeah. Hendrix version. It's the instrumental version by Stevie Ray Vaughan who I don't listen to otherwise, but this version is is amazing. And I've actually created a 90-minute looped version of it. <laughs> it doesn't have the intro and the outro. That's only at the very start and at the end. And in the middle, yeah. it just goes over and over seamlessly. And I only ever listen to this piece when I want to do work. And so this yeah. is my little trigger for now it's work time. You know, monkey brain, be quiet. <laughs> you have to sit down and work. And that works really well. Sometimes when that works well, you get into what I think Naveen called deep work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the term I've heard more often is flow state, yeah, where you don't even really notice the passage of time and you're really quite happy doing the thing you're doing yeah. and uh, you're efficient and you're not getting distracted. And trying to get that is the key, but if only it was as simple as just putting on a yeah. simple piece of music. I, I don't tend to get that at work, I, you know, reporting radiology. But I can get that very easily putting together a talk or editing someone's lecture for the conference or something like that. So I can definitely get into the flow state for those kind of things and and forget to eat lunch or at work, I find it a lot more difficult to get into that kind of state. But I think our work is missing an opportunity and we're all missing out by not creating workplaces and rosters where that's possible. Yeah. Uh, because I know that when I have had, and this happens very rarely, a session where I'm just reporting, like I'm supernumerary and I'm off in some room off to the side, not getting interrupted, and I'm just on my own. I know not only do I get through twice as much work as I would otherwise, but the quality of the work that I'm doing, the quality of the reporting, I'm pretty sure is higher and my miss rate is going to be lower. And we've never been able to devise a roster that you know, takes advantage of that, but it would be amazing to be able to do that. And, and I yeah. love those sessions. I feel great afterwards. Yeah, so one reason why I'd be tempted to try um, a bit of teleradiology because you right. can you can do it from home and potentially get into that flow state from a diagnostic radiology point of view. But yeah, I'm the same as you. When I'm at work, we've got trainees, we've got uh, clinicians calling up, we've got radiographers calling up. So there's, there's always a lot of distractions, very hard to avoid yeah. it completely um we probably should wrap things up there so how can people get in contact with us well we're at radiopedia on twitter and on instagram as well as at frank gaylord and at dr andrew dixon you can of course email us at podcast at radiopedia.org with any ideas and feedback 
and we've got a hostful episode next week. So send in any funny comments uh, in particular. Funny comments. Questions? Are we taking questions as well? Yeah, we'll take questions. Yeah, why not? We'll receive questions, whether we answer questions, who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good That's one. We'll for future Dixon to decide. Future Dixon to decide. Good one. <laughs> and don't forget that if you want to help support Radiopedia, then you can become a paid sponsor via the website or purchase an all-access pass to our online courses and conference. And uh, in doing so, you're not just helping the website, but you're also helping us to give the conference access to everyone in 125 low- and middle-income countries who really otherwise couldn't attend. And what else can people do to help, Frank? And don't forget, you can also help us out by leaving a five-star review in the podcast app of your choosing. Also, don't forget to let your friends and colleagues know about the podcast. Let them know that it exists. Let them know that you're enjoying it, and hopefully we can build a bit more of a community around the podcast itself. Uh, So let's sign off. I'll see you all again. Oh, how do I say it again? And and we'll catch you all again sometime soon in the reading room. Stay rad, everyone. Stay rad. Stay rad. See you next week, Frank. Bye-bye. Bye. I'll see future Frank next week. Oh, that's right. <laughs> 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 <laughs>